Hello and welcome to Switzer TV, I'm Peter Switzer. On tonight's show we brace ourselves for a bit of a sell-off for stocks with the coronavirus infections rattling Victoria and large chunks of the USA. We're holding our breath to see how Wall Street responds to rising infection rates in the US and we want to ask our experts how they are set to play a stock market that has been rising strongly to one that is now going off the boil. Over the weekend, the Dow lost 2.8% and our market on Monday gave up close to 2% as well. So is this the start of something bad? I'll put this question to Berman Invest, Julia Lee, Early Funds Manager, Matt Williams, and my Switzer Report colleague, Paul Rickard, who has a set of stocks to buy in a serious sell-off situation. And the founder of BetaShares, Alex Vinicker, comes with a new ETF that gives you all the local tech stocks in one ETF. It has everything from Afterpay to REA to Tyro in one virtual stock. So without any further ado, let's catch up with Julia Lee. Well, as we do each week, we catch up with Julia Lee to see how the market's going and what she's liking and not liking right now. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. Okay, let's kick off a couple of things. You know, the market was down today. I wrote something in the Switzer report today looking at 10 reasons why the market might go down after such a strong rally. What do you think is going to happen to the market in the coming weeks? Look, we were selling out of some positions last week and taking profits in anticipation for a little bit of weakness. And I suppose the reason why we have been buying puts and some protection in the portfolio is um, in case we do see extra volatility coming in July. And Pete, I see two reasons why that might occur. One, we are seeing an acceleration in COVID-19 cases in the US, so watching that very closely and the impact it has on the world's largest economy. And secondly, um, if we have a look at here in Australia, July is traditionally confession season where companies give us an update on what to expect for the full year numbers before the full year reporting season in August. So given all the disruption, we are expecting to hear some soft reports coming through. I guess the big question is whether that's already priced into the market or whether we see further weakness. Mm. What about Alan Joyce's revelation that we won't be traveling overseas until the middle of next year. That really has hurt the likes of Webjet and Flight Center. Do you think that their pain is permanent or they'll eventually get a recovery once we can see some light at the end of the traveling tunnel? Yeah, I think that there are opportunities there, but those opportunities are now further out given the developments that we are seeing in some of the biggest economies in the world. And the fact that we are seeing rising cases still in places like the US, Brazil and India means that international travel as we know it is probably off the cards for at least a year, if not a couple of years, and two or three years to get back to more normalised conditions. So look, investors had initially been pricing in a year of disruption and now that's it's gone out to two to three years. So I don't think there's a huge rush at this stage to get in on the travel stocks. And of course, we have seen those travel stocks being impacted negatively. So even things like Sydney airports, you'd expect to see a bit more weakness come in. And obviously, we've seen weakness in the likes of Webjet, Flight Center, uh, as well as corporate travel. So look, those travel related stocks uh, that are related to international travel, I think 
definitely some weakness there. And instead, I think it will be domestic travel that Australians will be focused in on. So maybe we'll do more driving holidays so the petrol right. stations might uh, benefit. Okay, so have you pinpointed any stocks that are going to benefit from an Aussie economy that will be domestically focused? And I know I wrote a story uh, where I actually said that we have to get used to not going to Europe or the USA, but maybe going to Margaret River or Cable Beach or Northern Territory, because that's where our our one-time uh, tourist dollars used to be spent, but now we'll be spent at home. So there must be businesses that will benefit from that. Yeah, well, when we look at Qantas and even the old Virgin, um, you know, there was an international travel component to it. Um, but there are a couple of airlines here in Australia which are very domestically focused. So I guess regional airlines or Rex as we know it did see a sharp increase today on expectations that it's going to start travelling to the capital city. So if you want a pure domestic play, something like regional airlines, um, I guess has a great track record and less risk given the international travel component isn't there so um look regional airlines has been well supported on the back of that but as yeah. i mentioned i think um, more people will be driving so anything related to driving um whether you're looking at babcor whether you're looking at the petrol stations uh, i think that we'll see some strong support there and then of course as people lack confidence because of these covid19 flare-ups i think that people's footprints just get smaller mm. and their world gets smaller which means that some of those are more local supermarkets like Metcash which we do own I think are a beneficiary and Metcash's last update just over a week ago they said that they saw very strong sales coming through in April May and June whereas some of the larger supermarkets started to see a bit more uh, normal conditions coming through in the latter months but um, mm. it looks like Metcash the customers have been sticky and they've been shopping local. Mm. And, I, and I guess you know when you think of you know people like you and, and me and my wife, Maureen, when we go overseas, we buy a lot of stuff. And if we're not going overseas, we'll be buying stuff here. So a lot of, you know, like clothing stores and stuff like that could get, you know, a, a much better uh, period for the next 12 months or so. Like, uh, um, I guess, um, good old Solomon Lou will be happy about that. <laughs> You know, if I if there were all sorts of different fashion companies listed on the market and clothing, I would be short suits and long track suit pants because yeah. working from home, look, we're, we're not going to have lemon stuff. <laughs> That's right. And look, some of that we have seen come through. Accent has been doing very well, uh, which owns Athletes Foot, uh, Platypus and Hype DC, which is more sneaker type of businesses. So people are obviously still walking around their neighbourhoods. They're just not wearing their dress shoes. So we have seen some of those companies doing well. But anything that's related to work from home, that trend is likely to continue to be a bit longer now. We're seeing those COVID-19 flare-ups. Okay. Um one of the questions we got on my Boom Doom Zoom show for our subscribers to the Switch Report was about a company called Bid Energy, and Paul Rickard and myself didn't know much about it. What do you know about Bid Energy? Look, it is a smaller company, and usually I cover the larger end, but it's an interesting company. BID is a stock code. I think it has a market capitalization of around about $100 million. And while it says bid energy, it's not really an oil and gas stock. It's a billing company. So you're looking at the digitalization of uh, billing for utilities like energy companies. I think um, that Origin Energy is a customer, as well as water companies and any other type of other companies out there. 
And I think COVID-19 is good news for companies like this because we are seeing a migration to the digitalization of services. The last update that this company gave was back in April and what they did see was expected customer revenues given that the contract wins that they had seen for the quarter was up 19% quarter on quarter. So it's hard to see that type of growth coming through for a lot of companies on the stock market. It is a smaller company and it is dependent on those uh, contract wins, but it operates not only here in Australia, but the US and the UK. So they're the three key markets. And look, I think it's pretty exciting. It should be moving towards profitability uh, either now or in the next six months. So it's an interesting company on your radar. It is an interesting company. It's too small for me or the fund uh, because we look at ASX 200 companies. But having a look at this company, you're looking at the digitalization of bills. Um, and look, I'd have to say that that's a growing market. Yeah, exactly right. One final one. We're getting close to June 30. Tax loss selling. What's your take on that? Well, Pete, we definitely saw it today. I mean, the ASX 200 is down 12% in the financial year to date. And if you have a look at the top 10 losers uh, on the ASX 200, in today's market, when the market was down 1.5%, those top 10 averaged a loss of 5.5% on the market today. So some pretty steep losses. And over the last week, those top 10 are down 12%. compared to the market, which is down 2%. So it definitely looks like some tax-related selling coming into play with some investors looking to crystallise losses. And the thing with tax loss selling is it generally is a little bit reversed in July or the first Mm. couple of weeks of the financial year. So if anyone's looking for a bit more of a short-term play, then generally you see these names bouncing back over the next couple of weeks. So, So therefore, if you don't hold those stocks, by buying them tomorrow when more tax loss yeah. could be on, you might get some joy in July sometime. Look, it depends on the market conditions, but certainly are some interesting ones out there like Ooh Media, which has been sell- sold down uh, very heavily, as well as Oil Search. Um, you've seen Virgin Money coming under pressure as well. Mm. So, so the, when you said top 10, are they the top 10 losers? losers. <laughs> they are yeah. the top 10 losers. Because end of tax year, usually you're looking at people crystallising losses, which means they sell their losing positions. Great stuff, Julia. Great. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Pete. Well, the market looks as though it's set for a bit of a sell-off, but we don't know how bad it will be. Paul Rickard has looked at uh, a number of stocks that he'd be willing to buy if there was a sell-off and a few stocks he wouldn't want to touch if there is a serious sell-off. Paul, let's have a look at this table you presented here. Yeah, I thought a good way to look at what to buy in a second wave, Peter, is to look at what happened during the first wave. Mm. Doesn't mean history's going to repeat itself. We don't always get a carbon copy, but you've got to expect that some of the behaviours we saw back in uh, March, April, February, March, April will be the same. Uh, in a second wave. So not exactly the same, but I think it's a good guide. So just recall what happened. The market peaked uh, um, about February the 20th, Peter. That's when yep. it hit 7163. Yep. We hit the bottom on, on March the 23rd. It took uh, five weeks to get down there from 7163 down to 4546. Mm. We made our way back to the next peak on uh, June the 10th at 6148. And we've come back a little bit since then. Mm. So top to bottom from those two dates, it went down 36.5%. It's gone back up 
35.2%. But, but how much do they have to come back to get back to where they started Yeah, 36 from? down is not equal to 35 up. It's got to be 36 down. It's got to be about 57% up. So we yeah. got back uh, about two-thirds of the way that was required. Yeah, about 20% short yeah. or so from where we are. Okay. So let's go and talk about the stocks that you like. If it's a sell-off, basically this is the buying opportunity stocks, aren't they, Paul? Yeah, I mean, look, really one of the big lessons for the sell-off, Peter, and I'll show some of the data in a sec, was uh, really that the best companies did best. That mm. is, the companies, the sort of the stocks I'd describe as the ones that you always want to buy for a decade, right? Mm. Yeah. Either because they're always growing, they've got a dominant market position, strongest balance sheet, they actually held up the best. So let me just show you a couple of examples to demonstrate yep. that. First of all, in the banking sector, compare Combank and NAB. Combank's the market leader. It's mm. so far in front of the other banks. It only went down about 38%. Uh, the NAB went down uh, 49%. Westpac and ANZ were between 45 and 47%. So of the four stocks, Commonwealth Bank only went down this much, the others went down that much. And yep. uh, I think if you're looking to buy a bank in a fall, you would buy Commonwealth Bank over the other three. Conversely, it didn't come back as much, but it didn't have as, have, have as much to go through. Mm. The other company I want to highlight there is, is CSL Peter. This is, a, I think, a, a company for the next decade. Yeah. Uh, it only lost 16.7%. Uh, which says a lot. Which says a lot about it. Hasn't come back as much, but one of the reasons it didn't come back as much is the Aussie dollar went up. Mm. Uh, and uh, if anything, it was, it was, it was, uh, it's been held back because it earns so much of its uh, revenue um, in Australian dollars. Another stock to highlight there is right at the bottom, Peter, is Zero. I reckon Zero is a terrific business. It only lost 32.8%. Compare that to, say, Afterpay above it, 77% in the same sort of tech domain. Mm. And it's come back 44%. It's almost as high as it was um, uh, when it hit the peak uh, around about uh, February 20. So, mm. uh, in fact, I think it's made a, a new fresh peak uh, since February 20. So, yeah. that, that's, that's what I'd say is a company to look to buy in a market collapse. Yeah, but Paul, talk to the fact that Afterpay is up 512%. Something yeah. <laughs> irrational has happened. There. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, um, I mean, Afterpay, I think, I don't think anyone could believe the $8.90 uh, it got to. Mm. Now, it's something higher than this. It's, it's, it's gone higher than June 10. It's mm. around about $56, $57. Uh, and it come back 512%. Mm. So, um, look, a huge, huge win back. I think the other thing that's happened, Peter, is there has been um, a new tailwind that, that, that Afterpay and some of the other payments companies have got because clearly you know, cash is on its way out. Yeah. The way people are going to purchase online is changing. Uh, that's playing into the hands of people like Afterpay hmm. uh, as, you know, a lot of generation of people won't get credit cards. And so there is, it has got a strong tailwind behind it, which you could say has been helped a little bit by the pandemic, but I think it's more of a function of Peter just got to, you know, sometimes when markets panic, you know, everything goes down and it just got to some absurd levels and people, you know, one stock. You also remember the Tencent came in after that. Yeah, the that. Chinese are bought Yeah, and said, so, look, this is a great company and that probably showed the way for a lot of Australian investors. Okay. Is there any other story on there, like you've got Flight Centre, is this a company you want to buy on a softball? No, I don't want to buy Flight Centre. Yeah. Um, I think that... Um, Second time around, Peter, I think it was easy the first time around. I think the market um, still believed in the prospect of a V-shaped recovery. And certainly, if not an economic V-shaped recovery, we perhaps an easier, you know, lockdowns coming out mm. quickly, travel restrictions would go. I think if there's a second wave, Peter, a lot of those assumptions about both the V-shaped recovery uh, and, you know, how 
preparedness to open up borders and for people to take the mm. next leap. I mean, there's a confidence issue here as well. I think it's going to be really hard for the travel yeah. country. So I think whereas it was a great tip that you gave back in uh, late March, early April, to buy the flight centres and the Webjet from the Qantas. Mm. I don't think if it was a second wave, Peter, I'd be saying the same. No. Um, the other one I talk about is Woolworths. Mm. Um, Woolworths, um, it actually went up or it did really well in the, in the, in the, in the move down. Um, I think people obviously saw the sales, but they forgot about some of the costs, mm. you know, which was always going to be there. But I've got a feeling that the, some of the defensive stocks, Peter, um, are going to do better on a second wave because I think the second wave sends a story that, as I said, it's more likely to be a W or a U-shaped economic recovery, that means a hard slog. Mm. It means it's going to be really tough for some of the stocks to get their earnings back up. And uh, I think defensive stocks, because of uh, the you know, reliable income, less um, uncertainty about mm. revenue, might just do a little bit better. So I think the other thing is to look at some cheaper defensive stocks mm. in the sell-down. I guess when you look at CSL and Woolworths, both of them didn't fall much, they haven't come back much, but they are solid companies when people get scared. Yeah, they're going to be in business in the next 10 years, 20 years. I think CSL, it's just more the currency impact, Peter, I think yeah. has probably stopped it. But um, look, I think it's one, uh, you know, if you, get a, if you get a whip down and, uh, you know, there's a bit of panic, that's a company to load up on. Yeah. And I think Woolworths is probably almost getting towards the same situation simply because it's been held up on, on, in the recovery. Okay, that's Paul Rickard looking at the stocks to buy if there is a serious sell-off. Well, everyone would like to beat the ASX 200 index and uh, one guy who's going to be trying to do it in the company of someone like Hamish Douglas from Magellan is Matt Williams from Airly Funds. Matt, thanks for coming to the program. Thanks, Peter. Um, tell us what this product is that you're, you're doing in concert with Magellan. Yeah, so Airly is a uh, wholly owned uh, business within Magellan, but mm. Airly concentrates on Australian shares only. Mm. Uh, Magellan, obviously, the, the experts in global investing. Yep. So the Early Australian Share Fund is uh, basically a long-only uh, ASX-dominated uh, fund. Mm. And the innovation that we've brought with Magellan, uh, who've come up with this, is that previously, if you wanted to have a listed fund and a managed fund, you basically had to have two separate uh, pools of money. Mm. Uh, even though you might have run them the same, you had two separate. Now, we've basically got one pool of money but you can come in at either uh, uh, via a, uh, any entry point. So you can come in via a platform, mm. or you can fill out the forms, mm. or you can buy it on the ASX with the ticker AASF, and but basically you're then part of one big uh, pool managed fund. Mm. So we think that's quite interesting. We think a lot of other managers will be interested in that. It lowers the cost yeah. for the fund managers, yeah. and hopefully it's a you know, it's something that uh, retail investors will like to do, just buy it on market, buy a, a managed fund on market. Okay. So let me get this right, right, because people would have heard what you've said then and, and not been com completely sure. They understand the ETF part. That, that would be a listed ticker code. What is the ticker code going to be? AASF. Uh, uh, good. Okay. Not as good as Switz. I got lucky. <laughs> they gave me my nickname. But, yeah. but, but on the other side, it sounds like, a, a unlisted type product that people are used to going to a managed fund. Is that right? That's right. So yeah. it's traditional, on the unlisted side, it's just the traditional managed fund. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Will there be a unit price and which yeah. will be calculated on a daily basis? That's right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, and, but then on the, so then it's just basically, mm. it's the same fund, mm. but you can just access it on market. Yeah and you're in the same pool of money. And, and I guess there are people out there who have been used to listed funds and, yeah. and they would like that if they've had a good experience with it. But 
I would have figured like younger, more online investors would be more used to the ETF one, and that's probably you can't even two sorts of audiences. That's right. Mm. Yeah, you're spot on. Mm. I think uh, there's so many people as we as I've travelled around talking to advisors uh, around the country, financial advisors. There's so many now looking to go direct for their clients, yeah. direct into the market um, via an ETF mm. or uh, other sort of listed uh, vehicles. Mm. So there's much more interest in bypassing the the unlisted world and mm. just going straight to listed. Okay, we should explain it because some people might have heard the name early, would have probably read it in newspapers like the AFR and the Australian when you guys were quoted, but you, you really haven't been in the retail space before, have you? What have you been doing? Yeah, so Airly was started uh, by John Sevior in 2012. I and the co-manager of this fund, the Airly Australian Share Fund, Emma Fisher, mm. we joined in 2016. John and I had worked together previously for quite a few years. Mm. Uh, and then in 2018, we joined Magellan. We mm. merged with Magellan. And in that same year, we, fought, we started this unlisted retail fund. Yep. Uh, so traditionally, Airly has been institutional. So mm. the big super funds, mm. uh, they're clients of ours, they give us money to manage on their behalf. Mm. And that's been our traditional business. Mm. But now with the, uh, the Airly Australian Share Fund, we're branching out into the retail space. Mm. Is a part of it, apart from you know, leveraging off your good reputation, which I, you wouldn't argue with me on that? No, point, absolutely no, not. No, no. Uh, but because there is a much greater appetite to invest in the stock market now. So therefore, it just seems sensible to actually be closer to the people with the money rather than waiting for the money to go through advisors and then to you. Exactly, so yeah. you know, advisors, platforms, uh, then to us mm. or you know, from advisor to us uh, uh, via the unlisted. It's just a much simpler mm. way, we think, and, and we think this is the way the future of the managed funds business will probably go mm. over the next few years. What do you think is your competitive advantage? What, what do you, apart from your great reputation and your self-belief, what, what <laughs> is, what is yeah, Airly's um, competitive advantage when it comes to how you get, because ultimately you want to beat the ASX 200 index, otherwise people might have just buy an ETF for the index. Exactly. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the reason we, we get, uh, that's the reason we get up and do what we do. We've got to try and beat the index and yep. as we know just beating the index a little bit mm. each year hopefully you beat a lot but mm. by beating it just a little bit each year the compound effect of that mm. is quite significant on people's savings yeah. over a, over a long period of time that's the whole reason for mm. active management well but matt and i'm going to push you because yeah. you know you would have thought about it and a lot of people who watch this show are learning about investing uh, the passive investor who goes into a, a an etf they're just getting what the index is going to serve up, fine. Lots of fund managers can't beat the index. How, how have you worked out over the years that you, you can beat the index? What is it that a fund manager can bring to the table that can an anticipate the sort of problems that a market might face and therefore you, you avert them and then end up with a better return? Yeah, look, look even my self-belief wavers on, in certain periods yeah. because all active fund managers will have a period of underperformance and mm. I've certainly had those. But mm. over the long term, uh, we've, we've seemed to have managed to do it mm. and uh, you know, my track record shows that. Mm. Um, but there is periods where it's, yeah, you start to think um, this is hard, this is mm. too hard. Mm. Um, but basically the, the competitive advantage any fund manager has is their process mm. and how they implement that mm. process and whether they're disciplined to that process. Because mm. I think everyone, a lot of fund managers say they have a process, but when the market 
is doing something. Uh, the fads are there. Some, you know, some some hot things are, are, yeah. are going thing, yeah. and you like, you feel like you're missing out. Like after pay at ten, going to fifty. That that could be. Yeah, you could you could say that mm. something like that. Um, and you lose discipline, and when it all something crashes down, mm. the fads crash down, like the tech mm. boom. Let's go back way back then. Mm. The the leveraged sort of uh, the businesses uh, that were highly leveraged in the uh, you know in the in the before the GFC, yeah. so those kind of things, and so by sticking to our process that we have, we 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 find that we've miss out on a lot of these uh, you know these busts. Mm. I guess we we do a lot better than the market yeah. when these busts come along. Hence the track record. Uh, how are you investing now? Because it's a tricky market right now, isn't it? Well, I think tricky is the understatement. Mm. I think it's a very confusing. I mean, it's a, you know amazing market, mm. and you know. Uh, the word adjectives have lost their meaning. I think you know, you know, unprecedented. All mm. that. It's just, it's quite unusual. Um, but when you, you know, we look at the uh, economic data and some of the retail data, we're doing so much better than what we were thinking. Mm. Yeah. You know, only a few months ago, it's mm. quite extraordinary. Um, but then everyone's thinking, well, we're all thinking, what's going to happen when this stimulus? You know, this amazing stimulus that we've mm. got going. Uh, it, it, falls away and mm. so this is why it's such a confusing time mm. the market has priced a v-shaped recovery mm. the the data certainly looks like that's that's occurring but mm. we all know that this is a bit of a false it's a bit of a false sort of situation mm. so much money's being pumped in mm. um, we all know about some people we all know people who are actually earning more yeah. as a casual worker than they used to before and cafes in the suburbs are getting Saturday and Sunday trade seven days a week at that's the right yeah. yeah so when all this falls away it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Um, when you you look at America, like they've rebounded ridiculously, seven percent off their high. Mm. Do you think there is a bit of this young per, young person or novice investor going online and just pumping up the stocks? Because they, they can't believe how easy this is. Well, they're pumping up certain stocks. Yeah. You know, the Robinhood traders mm. uh, in Hertz and things like that. Mm. Uh, Tesla's probably been a beneficiary. Yeah. Probably but the Fangs as well. Yeah, it's they're too big. Yeah. I think that I think that to say that the whole market's been pushed by this, from, you know, these you know new traders is yeah. wrong. Yeah. No, it's definitely wrong. I mm. think it's more to do with all the the uh, unprecedented mm. again uh, monetary stimulus. Mm. You know, this the monetary stimulus being pumped into the system globally mm. is twice what we had in the GFC. Yeah. So. And it, was, and it was introduced faster than we've ever seen before. Exactly. Yeah. So what happens? What happens from here is that this is where you know does the monetary stimulus get fall away whilst the fiscal stimulus falls away? You know what? You know it's a very confusing period. For We're in the hands of uh, treasurers and central banks. Yes. Yeah. Um, so let's just ask this question then, because a lot of people will be wondering: Do you think that it's likely that there's going to be a second leg down because of the infections escalation? And if so. Do you think that second leg down will be less than the first? Uh, be right, yeah. too, Matt. Look, I think it's I think it's entirely possible yeah. that you know that, that that we do get a leg down given mm. the hard sort of uh, you know rally we've had. There's mm. you know there's nothing nothing uh, very insightful about that you know that that view. Um, it's entirely possible. Mm. But do we retest the lows? Um, probably not. I mm. think uh, I, I don't think so. Mm. Um, I think something catastrophic would have to happen for us to retest the lows. So I think it's uh, it won't be as bad as that again. Okay. So when does this fund kick off? It's listed now. Mm. Uh, yep. You can buy it uh, through any through your through your broker. Mm. 
um, through your Comsec account or whatever account you might you might have, mm. uh, and it's the ticker is AASF. Okay. So Matt, what are the stocks you like right now? It's it's hard to find a lot of uh, great, you know, bargains that you think are really mm. really cheap at the moment. We've had a lot of good good performers, mm. good winners. Um, and, and look, this, this goes to show, once, one company we've had a lot of, it's been a big position in our fund, is Mineral Resources. Mm. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's a mining services business, but quite a unique one. Mm. Uh, much more of a stable kind of business than mm. you've seen in others. Uh, it also has its own iron ore operations. It's cash, net cash on the balance sheet. And so they're just now sifting through a heap of opportunities that the crisis has brought up and they've got a great track record of uh, uh, you know investing and making a lot of money mm. uh, by buying at the right time and selling at the right time. So mm. we think it's now that they're going to do that again. Uh, but the stock's gone from 13 to 20 dollars. We've actually reduced a few, mm. but I still think on a three-year view, this mm. is a really good company, and, and I, I can see it at 25 dollars yeah, within yeah. to 30 dollars in. And trees. I guess if there was a sell-off, this is the kind of company That's you'd the, buy we'd, more. We'd of. buy we'd yeah. buy it back yeah. and. Because it's been such a big position, we have trimmed the position lately. Yeah. Yeah. Any others? Um, look, what we've been selling, you know, I think a, uh, we, we, we've always liked TPG, the, mm. you know, and mm. we've loved the TPG-Vodafone merger mm. uh, that's occurring. And suddenly the market has uh, fallen you know, off, quite yeah. in love with that at the mm. moment too. So at $9, though, we think there's, it's a bit of a long you know, road to haul, mm. putting these two companies together, getting the synergies, trying to, you know, trying to ramp up the... Yeah. The, the selling process and the bundling process and start to eat into Telstra and Optus. Mm. It's going to be, it's going to take a while. So mm. at $9, we've been selling. Yeah. And what price will you buy back in? Uh, in this, when it's got a six handle. Great stuff. Yeah. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pat. That's Matt Williams from Early Funds Management. Well, everyone likes to invest in tech stocks nowadays, but which one do you invest in? BetaShares has created a new fund, a tech-oriented ETF, and uh, Alex Vinica from BetaShares is here. Alex, great to see you again, mate. Likewise, Peter. Good to see you. Tell us about this new uh, ETF you've created. Uh, the new ETF we have recently launched uh, is uh, trading on the ASX under the ticker ATEC, and it is the S&P ASX um, all technology ETF. Mm. It's quite an exciting development uh, for BetaShares. We, mm. We've launched our business you know, about 10 years ago and um, we have really launched our business with the purpose of, of providing investors in Australia mm. with value adding investment solutions. And when we looked at the Australian market 10 years ago, uh, what we've observed um, is that Australian portfolios have very heavily skewed towards the traditional blue chips. Mm. And we're talking about the banks, we're talking about the resources companies, telco allocation here and there and if you're in the supermarket. Mm. Um, that's essentially the core of the Australian, of the Australian portfolio yeah. when you look at most statistics. Um, whereas most people allocate to equities for mm. the purposes of achieving growth, mm. right? You, do, you allocate to fixed income, to cash, for other things, mm. for more defensive exposures, but equities is about growth. Yeah. Now, when we, when we looked, and this is, this is the exercise we've undertaken 10 years ago, when we've looked at the Australian market, we felt there are some key growth components that are missing. 
and technology is definitely one of them. And I, I personally have a passion for technology. I'm a big believer in, in disruption and entrepreneurship, mm. uh, which is why I've um, obviously um, started, the, started the business with my team at BetaShares. And we have set out on a bit of a mission to bring genuine global growth opportunities to Australian clients. Mm. So we have started um, with our NASDAQ 100 ETF, NDQ, mm. which is the first um, uh, of its kind in Australia, still mm. is. Mm. Um, and, and of course, that includes your Amazons and Facebooks and, and the FANGs, mm. basically, as, as, as yep. we tend to refer to them now. We have then uh, taken our focus to Asia. Mm. Uh, and we've launched an ETF uh, called the Asia Tech Tigers, mm. um, which gives you the Asian technology leaders, the Tencent and Alibaba's, etc. We've got a phenomenal um, even though it's, it's, it's still small uh, on relative, um, on relative uh, basis, a phenomenal and exciting technology sector now on the ASX, which we didn't have 10 years ago. Yep. And we thought um, it's, it's quite exciting and it's quite fitting in many ways for us to be the firm to bring a, um, a, an ETF, ATEC, uh, which allows Australians now to get exposure to a portfolio of leading Australian technology companies mm as easily as buying a share on the ASX. Yeah. Now, one of the things you have also brought to the table is uh, uh, a gift in coming up with great names, like ATEC, Australian Tech. All right. Let's give us some of the, uh, the other ticker codes that you've come up oh, with. Oh, look, I mean, uh, Hack is a good one. That's yeah. a global cybersecurity yeah, ETF. Yeah, beauty, yeah. Uh, that's not so bad. Uh, USD is the US dollar ETF. Yeah. I mean, we've got a few. Yeah, we've got, a, well. we've got well. a few. Drug is the global healthcare ETF. I mean, yeah, but, but, but I must disclaim at this point in time that none of the credit belongs to me here. No, no. This, is, this, is, all, this yeah. is all teamwork. This, yeah. is not, uh, this is not Alex Vinegar work. Yeah, yeah. You're a, you're a techie kind of guy, Alex. Not a career. I'm not a creative guy. No, but still we like you. All right, now, um, this ATEC, how many stocks will be in it? Um, so the portfolio consists of 50 stocks at the moment. Mm. When, the, when the ETF uh, started trading on the ASX first, mm. it had a portfolio of 46. And um, in the most recent rebalance, there have been a few stocks uh, such as Tyro and Temple and Webster um, that, have, uh, that have joined. Have crept in. And, and Tyro has been a good performer as it's well. Has been a good performer. Um, so, what is the criteria for putting companies in the tech? So. Well, like with all ETFs, um, one of the key criteria that we look at is liquidity. Hmm. Is ensuring that um, the company is above a minimum uh, market cap uh, hmm. threshold, yep. which in this case is over $100 million. Um, and in addition to that, ensuring that there is enough liquidity uh, in the stock. That's one of the, that's one of the key criteria, yeah. basically. So market capitalization and liquidity. Yeah, and so a lot of people watching the show might not know what you mean by liquidity. I explain what it means in relation to the stock and why it's important. Yes. First and foremost, um, free, um, you know, free market capitalization, basically. Yeah. So, so free not, float. Not, free. not held by, by a, a small number. Indeed. Close owners or something, whatever. So something that can buy and sell on the market pretty easily. First and foremost. Okay. In addition to that, um, on market liquidity. So one of the things that's critical with an ETF, and this is a big uh, distinction here to be drawn between a closed-end uh, listed investment company mm. and an ETF, mm. is that Every day there is net buying in an ETF, mm. the fund manager, as in beta shares, mm. will go and acquire the underlying stocks 
mm. basically in the open market yeah. and vice versa. Mm. When there is net selling, the ETF will sell the underlying stocks. Mm. So liquidity of the underlying portfolio is absolutely uh, critical. Mm. And, and the criteria that we use um, for, for ATEC is the same criteria, say, as we use for the NASDAQ 100 ETF. Mm. Um, so index construction rules are quite, quite robust. Okay. What, what else does someone need to know to be comfortable about buying this, this tech stock? Look, the, the critical thing with technology allocation, um, in, in our view, is that it is a high growth sector, mm. uh, and high growth also means high volatility. Yeah, it can go in both directions. It can go in both directions. Yeah. And this is an example where the, the magic of diversification mm. uh, definitely plays its role. Yeah. I mean, we have seen um, some of the market darlings, Afterpay. Mm. Um, Afterpay, which has been a strong performer, of course, um, has suffered quite a significant market drawdown um, when the COVID panic hit mm. and the sell-off was quite violent. Yeah. Um, and of course, the recovery has been spectacular quite as well. Quite violent as well. <laughs> Indeed, the recovery has been, has been yeah. spectacular as well. But the importance of diversification here cannot be understated. So, yeah. so the one thing we, we always... Uh, talk about to our clients mm. is not to have you know importance of not having all the eggs in one basket, mm. and I think and I think in the technology which is a high beta um, exposure basically the technology sector yep. diversification definitely pays dividends. Mm. Um, importantly as well, the index does a lot of the heavy lifting for the investors mm. because of the quarterly rebalance that it undertakes. What it means is that some of the winners of the future may not be in the index today. Mm. And if you're an investor who is simply trying to pick stocks uh, by, by herself or by himself, mm. um, you may pick a few stocks that you like today, but you also need to remain extremely vigilant to make sure that A, they remain appropriate for the future, but B, you also continue allocating to those that are coming in. So here, the, the beauty of the, of the index methodology is that it continues doing the heavy lifting for the investor, mm. and those companies that will be long-term winners in the techno technology space will be included uh, in the index methodology. Okay. So, Alex, when you think about it, you know, when you started a long time ago, 10 years, um, did you always think that you'd have such a big supermarket of ETFs? Because that's what you've basically created, like a supermarket of ETFs where people can go down a, a corridor with a trolley and say, yeah, I have a bit of tech, I have a bit of, you can, you can bear the market or you can gear the market, all these sort of things you've done. Was that always the plan or did it evolve as you saw the kind of appetite for ETFs? I suppose, like all good things, um, it's an evolutionary. It's an evolutionary process. Mm. Um, I would say that sitting here right now, mm. um, you know, we're almost ten years into the journey. We started our, um, launched our first ETFs in December two thousand and ten, mm. and you know, we had zero under management. Today, we have over eleven and a half billion under management mm. in over sixty uh, funds, and 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 of course, um, I would I would say. When we, when we sat down and, and put together the initial business plan uh, for beta shares, yes, we thought there are some great opportunities to bring innovation, true mm -hmm. innovation to market. Um, but I think it's also fair to say that investor preferences mm -hmm. and investor needs change over time. Yep. Um, so, you know, if we, if we take our cybersecurity ETF, um, mm -hmm. 10 years ago, no, I would not have thought no. that there is an opportunity to bring a cybersecurity ETF mm -hmm. or that cybersecurity would in fact 
start replacing physical security mm. as the more important as the more important measure for, for people keeping their you know information or their wealth uh, safe. So there is always opportunity to iterate. Mm. I think I think you also learn a lot of lessons. I think there's no doubt about that. Mm. We have learned a lot um, about about the investor base mm. uh, in Australia. Yeah. Um, we have got a lot more trust, of course, as a business than we've had 10 years ago. Mm. And that's not something that we ever take for granted. You know, we've got to work every day, you know, mm. having, to, having to earn that trust. But, but having tens of thousands of investors um, that, that interact with us on a regular basis gives us a phenomenal insight as to what's relevant in the market and what's not. Okay. So we kind of evolved from, from, from doing our own desktop research mm. and, and a bit of guesswork in early days to now having most of our decisions informed by clients. Okay, just two other questions. The importance of market makers, um, a lot of people don't understand what market makers do, but basically they ensure that when people want to sell, they can get out, and when they want to buy, they can buy, right? That, so what have you learned about uh, market makers? Market makers in the Australian market have, and, and global ETF markets have performed a very important function now for several decades. Mm. So first ETFs have been launched in Canada, of all places, mm. about 30 years ago. Um, they have been in Australia for, for almost 20 years. Um, and they have been in the US, in Europe, everywhere around the world. And, and, and market makers' job, effectively, is to provide liquidity. Mm. The reason they can provide liquidity, as we were alluding to a bit earlier in the conversation, is because the underlyings of ETFs are themselves liquid. Mm. So the market maker's job is effectively to ensure that people can buy and sell throughout the day with certainty of the price. Mm. And, and this is, um, to go in a little bit of an anecdote, you know, which is COVID related, we've seen, some, we've seen some days in the Australian market where the markets opened you know, five or 6% down, and then by the end of the trading day was actually up 3%. And this is a fantastic illustration of the benefits of ETFs mm. in that you can buy and sell at a price that is known to you and at the price that you're comfortable with. Compare that to an unlisted managed fund. And, and I'm not here to advocate for passive versus active. I definitely think there is scope mm -hmm. for both under the sun. Mm -hmm. But I certainly um, believe strongly that ETF is a more evolved way of investing. So if you were a managed fund investor and the market opened 5% down, and you think, hey, I want to buy um, manager ABC, active managed funds, uh, acti actively managed fund because the stocks have fallen and I'm getting a bit of a bargain. Mm -hmm. Well, your units when you are um, filling out the application form get issued at net asset value at the end of the day. And guess what? You know, when times are volatile, mm -hmm. at the end of the trading day, well, you, when you looked at it at the beginning, it was minus five, mm -hmm. it might have closed plus four. Yeah. So you've got a 9% differential basically between the open, you know, effectively a 9% mm -hmm. mismatch yeah. uh, in your expectation as an investor and the result that you receive. So, so the beauty of an ETF is that certainty um, and, and market makers, mm. going back to your original point, mm. they allow that to take place. Okay, last question. About three or four years ago, you remember it, there, were, there was a bit of speculation that uh, you know, ETFs, they'll really cop it when there's a big market sell-off. And, I, and I, I copped a lot of crap on uh, Twitter because I said, well, you know, I think these guys will be okay. And I said, oh, no, you'll find out. Well, you had a pretty serious test recently, and, and you must have been worried that there was bad publicity coming around at that point in time about ETFs under stress. Are you happy that you know, how ETFs have you know, weathered this storm? I'm delighted with how the ETF 
uh, industry, not just BetaShares yeah. ETFs, how the ETF industry has weathered the storm. I would also add that previous storms uh, in the global financial crisis, in the Brexit shakeout, uh, in the Nasdaq boom and bust, have all been experienced mm. uh, with ETFs uh, passing those tests with flying colors. Mm. But, but yet again, um, it's good to have the opportunity to, to dispel uh, some of those myths. Mm. And what I would say is that, um, you know, hopefully coronavirus um, you know, doesn't kill many things, but if there's one thing that I think coronavirus may have killed is the myth that ETFs um, you know, are not going to deliver. Okay, Alex, thanks for joining us. That's Alex Vinicola from Better Shares. And if you're looking for great investment ideas from some of the best investing minds in the country, there is one day to go to take up our exclusive end of financial year Switzer Report offer. Along with your subscription, you'll receive the free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club, as well as a bonus 2020 tax tip ebook. See the link in the description for more details. And thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next week.